They say patience is a virtue, but I can wait as long as you do for a change. Call me insane, but that's my end. Hello and welcome everyone to Untelevised, the podcast, the podcast where we learn, discuss and share different possibilities for social change. What does that mean? <laughs> I guess it means exploring what the world is now and how it really should be and looking at individual and collective ways that we can change the world to make it a better place for us all. Uh, I'm Faseo and my co-host is Mona. Hi, Mona. <laughs> hi, that's my cue. I'm, I'm Mona. Yes. Hi, everyone. Um, and this is our second episode of the year. And we kind of kicked off with big ambitions last time and we decided to define socialism as one of the main alternatives that people might have heard of um, to capitalism because we ended last year by, by defining capitalism. We spoke to Azar, who is a lifelong activist and has been campaigning for socialism for her entire, entire life, really. Um, and she gave us a lot of theory and encouraged us to read books like Marx's Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels, where we could learn more. And that was really important to give us, I think, like a theoretical background to what socialism is. And if you listen to that episode, you'll learn that there was also some discussion around socialism and communism and where they meet. But this episode, we really wanted to take ourselves out of some of the theory and into some of the practice, especially because socialism, one of its main barriers, I guess, is the imagination of it in practice and what it might look like. So this episode, we really wanted to explore that and look at a practical example of what a socialist society might look like in the 21st century in real life. And uh, for us, this is actually a really like sentimental kind of like episode or it's a very sentimental um, case study because the project we're going to speak to who are called Stadsnomaden um, in, in Dutch, um, which means the nomad state, is where Untelevised launched. Um, I mean, launch is a very grand word, but um, exactly two years ago, pretty much in, in February of 2019, um, we were invited um, to go to this place in Holland called Nijmegen. And we found out while we were in Nijmegen that it is an incredibly sort of alternative leaning city. It's a very, you know, sort of left wing leaning, you know, city. And it was brimming with projects where people were doing innovative alternative things and living more compassionately or more communally and we visited a lot of them and if you go to our Instagram and scroll right down towards the bottom you'll you'll see a lot of them. Yeah, we have also a story called um, Nijmegen that you can see loads of the projects we went to from like a giving shop where everything was free and you could walk in and take anything and donate anything um, to like a bar where everyone was a volunteer and all of the profits were donated to charities yeah you can you can see all of that on our Instagram in the story Nijmegen story. And so the project that hosted us were, were Stads in the Madden. We stayed there um, and um, it really was one of the kind of almost like main inspirations for us and for the channel. And it got us off to a really excited start. And so um, to go back to them two years on um, has, was, was great. I mean, in some ways, nothing had changed there. And, and in some ways, I mean, I guess everything's changed in the world. But um, when we went there, I mean, it was even for us, very hard to imagine it, right? Like physically, I mean, and not necessarily yeah. theoretically and ideologically, but like, what is it? You know, people say to you, oh, the nomad state. And you're like, okay, that sounds like something out of a film or whatever, like, you know, some sort of sci-fi film. Like, what actually is it? Um, yeah. In practice, they are basically, it's a field. <laughs> it's a field with a load of caravans. Um, each individual person has their own caravan. And actually these caravans were quite elaborate, some of them, like living rooms and a bedroom and, you know, really interesting and creative kind of spaces. And then they had their shared kind of kitchen caravan. They had compost toilets. They had a bar on site and sort of, play, you know, spaces that they open up in summer for events. Um, they built their own, you know, sort of sewage system, water filter system. You have an allotment. A lot of the things you might imagine would exist in a sort of alternative, you know, um, a sustainable kind of community. But that is the literal space that it is. It, it is a field a little bit on the edge of the city, um, which they do have sort of permission to be on. I mean, this is the interesting thing. And I guess this is where 
laws of different countries will vary in different local authorities, but they seem to now have an agreement with the local authority um, and they do pay some ground rent to be there even. So it's fairly legit, I guess, as far as legit goes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it very much started as sort of like a DIY project where they found the space, parked their um, vans there, their caravans there, and sort of started living. And then, yeah, over time, it has become more of a permanent space that they now have permission to be in. Um, And yeah, they're very organic in the way that they operate and the way that they develop and the way that they grow. And I think you'll hear that a lot in their interview. And um, I think it is worth noting here that Uh, you know, this is not necessarily like, this is not socialism in full practice. This is not, you know, this is more an example of how you might challenge capitalism, how you might draw upon some of those principles, some of those sentiments, and how you might sort of live a bit outside of capitalism while capitalism is still in motion. But you will hear more from them as to how they might define themselves, um, which maybe should take us into our learn section, because there are definitely some words that they mentioned that it might be useful for everyone to understand before we kind of kick off. So um, when asked about, you know, whether they considered themselves kind of socialist, communist, etc., a few words were, were thrown out um, by, by Stasnomad and themselves. I mean, Marxist was mentioned, and I think we spoke a lot about Marx in our last episode, but anarchism is another word that they referenced as maybe one of their influences. Um, and so for anybody who doesn't know what anarchism is, um, anarchism is yet another kind of political philosophy um, or system, I guess, a bit like socialism, communism, etc. Um, but it's kind of a movement which is very sceptical of authority and rejects all involuntary or coercive forms of hierarchy. So maybe not, you know, ones that people perhaps amongst themselves might develop, but anything that they see as forced upon us um, by a state or an establishment. I mean, they essentially call for the abolition of the state as we know it, like states that we live in. Um, They see it as um, being undesirable, unnecessary and harmful. so it's a term that's kind of been around since, you know, maybe like the, the 18th century. And it's the actual word um, comes from the ancient Greek anakos, um, which literally means without a government or ruler. Yeah, so um, I guess it's definitely got some um, places where it meets socialism, some commonality, but it's a slightly different um viewpoint or slightly different theory for many it's seen as like the even more extreme end of the spectrum if you wanted to kind of you know put them on a yeah yeah yeah. line I think like you said they don't identify in any specific theory but for me what they do um illustrate is sort of the experimental nature of of what um Ozar was referring to when she spoke about socialism sort of like we have principles that we align with and we're going to just see how it works in practice and we're going to just experiment every day with different ways of doing things we have no set rules I think that's one of the things they repeatedly say in the interview we have no set rules um, another thing they mention is universal basic income and I think we should also define that in case anyone's unfamiliar with what that is and basically universal income is where the state provides income for all of its citizens without any conditions attached so regardless of what your job income might be or what your living situation might be etc etc you'll still get this basic level of income and again this idea too has a long history to it and has had various support throughout the years from people of different political standpoints. Most recently, actually, in the UK, a petition gathered over 100,000 signatures, which meant that it had to be uh, discussed in Parliament. And that petition was entitled Implement Universal Basic Income to Give Home and Food Security Throughout COVID-19. It was considered in Parliament in September 2020, but the response was, and I'm quoting, Universal basic income does not target help to those who need it most. And they stressed that they're given a lot of support during the coronavirus outbreak, such as job retention schemes and statutory sick pay and universal credit. So it was rejected in the UK, but it has been discussed as a possible way of doing things as recently as the end of 2020. And again, I think, you know, 
this kind of comes from the the belief that if you at least ensure that every person in society at least has their basics taken care of, their food, their housing, etc., then rather than actually make them lazy or make them put their feet up, then people are not constantly acting from a place of survival and a place of desperation. And it might actually give them the headspace, the time to innovate, to get creative, to pursue hobbies to pursue passions or to top up their income and you know you would still have jobs in a society with universal basic income but it's a little bit I guess as an extension of maybe our benefit system in a way but it would be the idea is just by being human by living in this society this is the baseline that you're entitled to whatever you then do on top of that is up to you and still maybe is led by the free market and by capitalism and and so on but it's a cushion definitely Um, a few very practical things that are not grand concepts, but that are mentioned is that Stats Nomaden um, live off in many ways of go- from going dumpster diving. And again, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, I mean, it is as literal as that. They, they go to the dumpsters behind supermarkets or large food outlets, um, probably at night, where a lot of food is wasted and thrown away. And if you want to learn more, you can listen to our food episode um but essentially companies you know are forced to buy excess so that they always have the 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 food that people want on their shelves and then obviously there are there are sell-by dates and so on and so so much food is thrown away often still healthy still you know edible still in packaging and so there are many people and including here in the uk that have sort of discovered that as a means by which they can reclaim food and they will literally go into dumpsters and they will get out the food that's been thrown away. Now, I definitely, th- I'm sh- pretty sure in the UK it's illegal. It's kind of, even though it's in people's bins, it's considered theft. <laughs> um, I don't know the rules in, in the Netherlands on this, but this is how people at Stadsnamaden mostly ate. Of course, they could go still buy things themselves if they wanted something more. But when we stayed there, we had some amazing, yeah, very tasty <laughs> and actually yeah. quite rounded meals Um from from yeah, dumpster I mean, dived food. Like I say, I'm I consider myself to be quite a city girl through and through. So the notion of dumpster diving was something quite new to me, but I was pleasantly surprised at the kind of food that they were able to get, like whole salmons that were fresh and really nice and all sorts of things. I've literally actually just Googled it just to see because I'm not sure. And apparently it's not illegal in the UK. It's actually legal to dumpster dive. But I think where the blurry line comes is with all the trespass, quote unquote, trespassing, etc. So I know, for example, there have been stories about the fact that restaurants, maybe say like Greg's or McDonald's will just throw away their food at the end of the day because they can't legally give it away to people, despite the fact that it's fine. And one minute to five, they could sell it. And one minute past five, it has to go in the bin. And I've also just Googled and apparently we have 1.3 billion tonnes of food wasted um, worldwide and 6.7 million in the UK. So it really is like a massive, massive, massive problem. Um, And again, I guess because of the confines of capitalism, you know, um, supermarkets also, you know, they don't gain anything from you as a consumer or customer knowing that after 5pm, you could go to their bins and get the food for free. So it's never going to be encouraged for you to go get it. And I know that again, there has been a lot of, there was even some scandals a while ago about um, supermarkets and companies maybe even pouring like washing up liquid all over the food or whatever Mm. to stop people taking it and to actually stop homeless people from coming and taking it so this is again a very political issue and we do have a whole episode on food that talks about the politics around food and food waste so encourage you to listen to that Um, I'm just going to clarify for listeners because this is an international episode um, that where they use the word municipality which we don't use so much in the UK they kind of mean the local they mean the local authority um, and then a final disclaimer, which is that if you hear any wind <laughs> in the background, um, it is literally because they were interviewing with us from outside, kind of whilst planting trees in, in their community. OK, great. I'm excited to hear this one. So I spoke with Willemai, Bruna and Max um, from Stads Nomaden. They have all three lived there um, for quite some years, you know, up to kind of five years or so each um, and are very, very versed in the way that the community runs. Um, Willemai and Max are 
Dutch and are from the Netherlands originally, but Bruna is actually from Brazil um, and came to the Netherlands to study and then has ended up in this community. And she even since living there has been back to Brazil for a whole year and then back again and rejoined the community. So there's a real varied um, sense of perspectives on the community from people from, you know, people with different backgrounds and even different kind of international perspectives um, on this particular place. I don't think we really follow a certain ideology. Um, some of us uh, have their roots in the more anarchistic squatting scene, but overall there is a big variety of um, ideals without really following certain doctrines. Um, so like terms like socialism, Marxism, anarchism, it's not really a thing that we uh, that we follow, but on the other hand, we share some values and some dreams, every one of us in another uh, uh, sense and within another practice, but uh, the fields and the place, the way we live really makes this possible. So it's like a non-ideological ideology. <laughs> non-ideological ideology. I knew we'd get some real gems from you. <laughs> Um, I guess in that case, for maybe each of you as individuals, or if you do feel that you can speak perhaps for the group, um, what made you decide to live this way? Um, yeah, it's quite difficult to speak for others. I think everyone has their own path and their own reasons why they left behind their, their rooms and their family houses maybe and uh, decide to, to come to this place. Uh, for me, it was uh, an opportunity to come uh, into a more practical way of living and creating my own life. I see here uh, we have yeah, a lot of people with more time and more interests in just creating things that you, that you have for your life every day. And um, perhaps some people will, will tell that, that this is more like an old school way of living where you manage your own wood to get your, your house warm in the end of the day. And yeah, we also had some experience growing our food and um, yeah, just contributing to, to the local community and being more close to that. So for me, it was pretty different than what I have been living before. And I really wanted that. And um, yeah, it made me change a lot, change my values and uh, be uh, yeah, a better person in a way. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, for me, that was it uh, mainly. And I still see uh, space for keep growing and keeping developing more of a close-knit natural life, like natural living, actually, mm -hmm. not really just making your money and going to buy and being far away from your necessities, but more close. That seems to resonate with, with everybody. <laughs> um, so in that case, um, what do you guys feel may have been the biggest adjustments you had to make, I guess, perhaps on a personal level to live this way? Do you feel you've sacrificed anything? Do you feel you miss anything? Um, what are, I guess, the kind of gains and the potential sacrifices? Well, yeah, at the moment we had some uh, harsh uh, winter uh, two weeks ago and the uh, uh, water pipe broke because it froze. So at the moment we are short on uh, direct drinking water. Um, some days in December or early January we're short on electricity. These are... Uh, some luxuries, maybe in a sense, you give up, but on the other hand, you can r quite easily solve it with candlelight and a book. Uh, <laughs> it also uh, uh, it gives a good experience, you know, you, you, yeah, you resonate more with your surrounding in this sense, and that's also giving up sometimes, but it's also picking the fruits in summer. So candlelight and a book in the winter and picking the fruits in the summer, it, it feels really romantic. I mean, is, <laughs> is, does that just how you, the rest of you feel? Um, is it that romantic? <laughs> um, yeah, it has some, some tough days for sure. It's more like how much you are open for to yeah, give up and to experience the whole thing. Um, but it's also 
yeah, it's it's a constant learning uh, about yourself as well and what can you get from just what is there and yeah, what do you really need in mm-hmm. you know to to be happy or to live your life. Um, so yeah, I think everybody here it has been already five years or almost six years for most of us. Some people joined later, some people left as well. Uh, so I think everybody knows themselves and they are constantly aware of all the conditions. And yeah, if if we're still here, is because it it pays off, you know. And uh, yeah, there is there is growth and there is beauty in there. So I guess that does lead me on to a bit, you know, you spoke about people leaving, people coming, people kind of, you know, weighing up for themselves, what what, what works for them, you know, the gains, the sacrifices, et cetera. So as a group, you said you were 10 people. Um, how is that kind of almost like group dynamic managed? So, you know, do you guys have rules? Do you have structures? Do people have to kind of buy into something or sign up to something or, you know, take an oath to something or whatever when they come? Like how do 10 people, potentially sometimes changeable group of 10 people interact? Like how does each person contribute? Do you have set roles, et cetera, et cetera? I think that probably would be really interesting for people around to understand, you know, even maybe a family of, of, you know, of, of like four or five people might end up having to negotiate who does dishes and all that kind of thing. So how do you guys do that? as a somewhat changeable group of 10? Yeah, I think we're quite unorganized in a sense. We, uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, freewheeling and people are free to do quite what they want. But um, uh, once it's necessary, we start organizing meetings and uh, in some sense, try to uh, set out lines of the for uh, for instance the moving that uh, that we're now up to um, and that makes that we have to um, organize some meetings and we have to talk stuff out and we form groups but when once it not uh, once it's not necessary um, we don't do it that often sometimes we just talk with a cup of coffee or dinner and so could somebody be part of it and, for example, just not contribute, you know? Like, like is there a sense that – so one of the <laughs> – again, people can't see, but I'm seeing some smiles and some nods. Um, you know, one of the, I guess, critiques um, that is often raised when you talk about um, living in kind of non-capitalist structures – um, is that if you remove, let's say, money as an incentive for people, you know, they become they become lazy or they don't innovate or, you know, like what actually drives and motivates people. Now, if you set up a group where you're a bit like, yeah, you don't have to do anything, you know, like we're not necessarily forcing you to do anything. It is kind of up to you. Do you find that that's how people behave or do you actually feel that people go, I want to because I want this thing to work? Yeah, so I think in our experience, um, everybody that joined, they did from free will and they have things to add. They have a lot of, um, yeah, just willingness to contribute to every different task or assignment or anything that is needed to be done here in the the community. I think uh, it's hard to say, yeah, from this perspective, anti-capitalist or non-capitalist, it's the, the community evolves and executes most of its day-to-day through non-capitalistic practice but still most of us have a study or have a job or have other uh, activities and that's is where the difficult lays because people have just uh, yeah busy schedule sometimes and yeah I, I was in Brazil for a year to take care of my family and you know we spent some time there and there was also Corona there to hold me back so yeah there are different cases and I would say again the issue is that people need to work for money and they need to put their time on there I think everybody here if, I don't know if there was a universal income base income for every citizen in the world we would be way more, I don't know, 
developed community in terms of practical things that we've been achieved already, I think, because people would have more time to, to put it. Yeah, but in, in some way, I have a little add-on. It's also in some way, you were talking about laziness. One of the things that I learned here in Stadsnomade is to be more lazy and also that it's really important to be lazy. I think for me, part of capitalism is also people want also more and more money, money, but they also want to work more and more. They want to have a career and a big life. And it's always like you need to be busy, do a lot of stuff, wanting more. And here it's just like getting to that part of yourself also that wants just nothing, just to be. And from that, have some inner drive or some inner motivation to do something. I don't know, like to plant a tree or whatever. And not because you want to reach more in life or you want to have more money. And yeah, that can be quite hard sometimes because people have dreams. We have expectations and you get disappointed because sometimes, I don't know, you want to plant 300 trees and your neighbor is just laying in bed. But then what I learned is really to have also respect for the neighbors that just want to lie, lay in their bed and give them the time and the freedom to do that and also to learn from it. Yeah. I like that. That's really, that's beautiful. So um, we, um, we, we reflected on uh, 2020 um, in one of our episodes last year, and we asked a lot of our listeners to send us their thoughts on, you know, what that crazy year had kind of taught them. And we did have some people say, at first, when I was on lockdown, or maybe I'd been furloughed from my job or whatever, I kept feeling like I'm not productive, I'm not productive, I'm not doing anything. And then kind of learning that actually that obsessiveness with productivity is also a capitalist trait. And actually, like if you allow that to kind of leave you and you remove the expectation to then find that actually creativity went through the roof or that people found that, you know, learning languages had kind of gone through the roof in terms of the types of things that people then did with their time during lockdown was actually in many ways productive, but as Willem I says, maybe from your own dreams rather than from some sort of sense of expectation or, or duty. Um, Bruna, I want to, you know, you mentioned earlier, and this is, I think this is interesting for people to hear you live in this way, in this sort of whatever the word is, alternative way outside of maybe mainstream systems. But you literally said most pretty much all of us have jobs. You know, we might go to uni, we might have a job for money. That still happens. And so that I think is quite interesting when you're running something um, within, you know, an, an alternative within a capitalist system, as opposed to just living this way because the whole world is like this, right? So how does that look then? Like you all you get up, you go to a day job, and actually, how do you find that interaction with the so-called outside world? Like, how do you interact with it? Um, does it affect you? Does it limit you? Um, do you draw anything from it, you know, positively? Where is the intersection? Uh-huh. I was just telling Vilma, maybe she can uh, share a little bit, because she actually goes to a physical job here in the city. I've been working remote for four years already for a company in Asia. Uh, I do go there every year. Now, not anymore. At least last year didn't happen. Um, so yeah, for me, it's fine because I, I have my trailer here. I wake up, I make tea, uh, I take a shower if I want and I start my day. Uh, I like it because on my breaks, I can just go out of, of the trailer and walk to do everything you've been here so you know just to go to the to the dry toilets we have the eco toilets we have i think i have to walk 20 or 30 meters so for me it keeps me uh yeah moving I, so i like this balance of lifestyle more uh natural uh way of living where you have to uh move to get things done it's not like just you know, warm water on the tap or, um, yeah, just warm trailer out of the blue, <laughs> like it's in the house. And at the same time, I, I have my, my job and I can work as good as in a, in a office from here. So for me, it's all, all pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, if you let go of this idea of capitalism, because we're not especially against or before or whatever, we're just like, living our lives as free as possible, I think. So then I like, I have a job, but it's uh, also, it also comes from the heart. I work as an art therapist at the, at the moment as a teacher in art therapy. 
So when you let go of all the isms or the ide ideologies, you just are here on the earth in a world with people and you just like relate to these people in different ways and this is what you do. So it can be either here in my house or at, a, at the moment in an institution where I work. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I just want to be creative, make art and heal the world a little bit. Yeah. Heal the world a little bit. Yeah. Um, so actually with the, you know, a year like COVID where actually a lot of the world were forced to question some of their structures and some of their infrastructures, um, you know, Bruno, you mentioned for four years already, I've been living, working remotely, right? And now that's the case for so many people. Um, so the world kind of was was forced to go inward and, and question itself and, and, you know, for better or worse, but living in a, in a somewhat alternative community, did you find that living through a year like COVID, did it set you up better or worse like that? Were you more resilient um, because you were relying less on mainstream structures or were you less resilient because maybe you already are struggling with things like water heating, whatever, and then things got worse? I don't know. Like, How, how do you feel that that set you up to tackle such a change in the world? Yeah, I think... Uh, the whole COVID thing, of of course, it it changed some. Um, it, it, it demanded some of us. Um, now it's the 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 lockdown in the evening, so stuff like dumpster diving in the evening is not possible, for instance. But also during the winter, uh, working from home um, on batteries and solar panels, like power is not eternal in this sense. We 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 have limited power, so this question. Uh, um, some of us and some of our structures but on the other hand I never really always when I came home I had the idea COVID didn't exist yeah it still doesn't yeah still like when I go to the supermarkets like whoa people doing weird oh yeah COVID people are afraid. there's no fear here yeah it's like it changed of course we do not have like big events anymore seeing people etc but there's no fear. And this is what infected like the rest of the world for me outside this bubble. Everybody is afraid and yeah, this is not good. And here we have a place with yeah, less fear and more freedom. Yeah. And you're outside a lot. And I guess that in itself is probably a very yeah. practical way in which um, maybe things were, yeah. were, were better set up for you. And also yeah. we're, used, we're used to being flexible and used to like all of a sudden changing of environment, etc. So for us, yeah, it's like, okay, change of plan, tum -tum -tum, just go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to go back to um, about people coming, people going. Um, you're a small group of 10 and, you know, obviously some people might say, okay, fine. Like you can do something really kooky and creative and different if there's just 10 people, right. Or whatever. But um, and I know, and I know from Willemai that the ten is not even that um, accidental. But I guess first of all, how does that then sit in terms of inclusivity? Um, if you're challenging some of the features, maybe again of, of a capitalist society, which perhaps also creates a lot of like exclusions and borders and restrictions on people, and then you want to create something, Bruno, you said it made you a better person, for example, right? So maybe that would make people think, okay, that means it's more compassionate. That means it's more um, unconditional or whatever, but there is 10 of you. And do you, does that mean you actually have to pose quite a lot of restrictions of your own? Can anybody join you? Um, yeah, so we have um, our page on World Packers. It's an open yeah, website for volunteering and traveling. Um, and we, so we receive, or we used to, uh, before COVID, we used to receive travelers and usually foreigner people to stay here and yeah, to live with us and work in food and just be free here like us. Also, some Dutch people, just you know, from the surroundings or from the other side of the country, there is always people sending us message on Facebook or emailing us asking to, yeah, stay here for some time. And most of them are welcome. We do uh, have to, yeah, be honest about how is life here and what they should be up to if they come to stay. 
some people come with their own campers. Everyone that pops up here can stay for three nights uh, directly if they don't make any trouble. You know, this is just our open policy in a way. Uh, and yeah, it, it's just an open place. There is no um, closed gates or anything. So everyone that just walks in, receives some reception and just say hi and they can just, you know, experience what, what they can, what they're looking for at the moment. Um, but for residents, like long-term residents, we do lately, so in the past three years, we started actually having some sort of formal meeting to talk with the person and see what they, how they see themselves fitting the group and what they want to contribute, why they would like to move here. So most of the people that moved here, they were already friends of someone living here. So nobody's really out of the blue coming here. Um, and then, yeah, I think the process is, is more like if we think it fits and if the person has, you know, it's willing to have their own trailers and maintain that and, yeah, help with everything else that the community does, then, yeah, it's a yes. I think, well, of course, there's also the limit of the space. space. Yeah. Right now, we we don't really have uh, free cables, we call the just the space where we put a trailer and, you know, the little garden around it. They're all taken. Maybe there are two free that were the volunteer ones. So I guess, I mean, in theory then, do you feel that what you're doing is kind of scalable? Like, can it? Could it work on a much bigger scale? Um, whether that be that you guys become much bigger or just that there are tons and tons of little subversions of you. But do you think do you think this is a sort of growable thing? Yeah, so I I do believe uh, that that's yeah, it doesn't come from any study I did or anything. It's just my feeling that it is replicable. Uh, not that we are able to grow a lot. I, I don't really think it helps a group or a life if, if the group just just becomes like 20 persons or 50 persons, then I think it loses, it misses a bit of the, yeah, just the social, um, yeah, that, that we feel like a family and we work mm -hmm. together on something. So if it grows uh, in, in terms of number of people, then it, it loses this. But I do think other cities could, uh, yeah, offer a space, you know, for, for groups that are already looking for this type of life to, to, to exist. I know the tiny house community, which is, let's say, a little bit of a developed uh, version of what we have. We do a, a lot of DIY. The tiny house community usually is it's a lot of new materials and, you know, proper building of the thing. Um, I know they, it's growing in every country. So I think the, the municipality should look to, to this trend and, you know, just do it more regular, yeah, legalized and open. And, but without being too much into the, the commercial side of it. So, you know, that, that it keeps the rent very low and uh, that people still have to do their own electricity. I think that's pretty, it's pretty positive, this uh, sustainable way of living together with this so just actually some very practical things i mean is um within your community is any is any does any money exchange hands do people pay a rent on caravans is there a public fund is there a group fund for any of the things you need to buy for the place like you know like what is your actual um yeah i guess uh, operational structure so to speak yeah there is a rent we need to pay a small rent to the municipality and we pay a little bit more. Everyone pays then the rent and a little bit more to just our facilities, maintenance and everything. So we have a small pot that we call. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, with the events, we do collect donations. So we don't really sell things here. Um, we... Yeah, when, when there are artists, when there are activities, we are always open for donations. So we also collect some money through there. 
Yeah, we got a subsidy from from uh, the, this collective bar in the city center, um, and they subsidize the Helafit filter. It's our sewer system. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, and the TP we got out of donations as well. Donation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a couple of final things for me. I mean, um, conf conflict, um, does conflict arise? And again, do you have any kind of, what are the most common forms of conflict? I mean, Willem, I was saying that if I want to plant a tree and somebody else is in bed, then I start, I have to respect that, <laughs> um, for example. So, um, with humans, conflicts arise and do you have conflict resolution systems? Um, or again, do you just keep yourself to a size of 10 so that hopefully conflict never grows that big? Or, you know, what, what, are, what, what are the ways to deal with that for anybody listening? In some way, we have this strange, I don't know, allergy against any kind of system. So we, <laughs> do, have a lot of, we do have a lot of conflicts, but we do not have a certain way of dealing with them. Um, the best way that... I think just out of practice for living here for five years that I've seen happening is to have a campfire and to sit around it and then, I don't know, talk about it. Sounds reasonable, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's not really one way. And also we, we sometimes we try to, I don't know, organize a talk or we even talk sometimes about a mediator or something, but this only makes things more complicated in some way we did not find anything mm -hmm. and also one of the things that i learned is really also to have um patience just to give it time and wait um and sometimes take your own space because also we live with 10 people just in a field a grass field of grass that's it and sometimes it's like Oh man, if I don't, it's also with like drinking water, Max also said, sometimes you are even dependent on somebody else about your drinking water or to, or to have it warm in the night. This is pretty heavy shit. So I learned also to sometimes, whoa, okay, take my time, chill out and breathe in, breathe, breathe out, wait a week and then again, enter the field and talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Patience, breathing, time, all the things that I guess we don't get much of encouragement for in, 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 in a capitalist system either. Um, I guess in that case, guys, as a bit of a final, I mean, you know, what, what, what tips do you have? I mean, if anybody listening is thinking, yep, I would like to try and set up something like this in, you know, in a field <laughs> near me, um, how, what, what should people do? What can people do? Or even if they don't want to go quite as far as setting up, setting up this whole thing, can they do ver smaller elements of it in their own lives? Yeah, get a trailer, put it on the field of grass and live there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you gather other friends that want, it's always nice to it's have more hands, yeah. you know, and um, Be creative. Be creative, yeah. So sure the municipality will come but then talk to them they will come like out of fear like what are you doing here this cannot happen and you're like yeah but i'm here it's happening <laughs> can't we like try to find a way to make this happen maybe yeah i mean as you said get creative i'm looking at this massive steel kind of robot thing behind you that i feel you guys must have built with old yeah. car parts or something. So again, if only this wasn't just the podcast, then that would be where the camera would be zooming in just as you said that. But um, get creative, just do it. Maybe start with what you can. Um, if the local authorities get involved, there is some negotiation that goes in, I guess is what you're saying, which I, which I guess will vary a lot country to country, I would have thought. And when somebody tells you that something is not possible, like your parents or people from the municipality, like, oh, but you cannot all of a sudden do that because there are rules, don't listen to it. <laughs> yeah, listen to it, like cooperate, like, okay, we're gonna try, okay, these are the rules. Okay, I'm gonna try to be creative within these rules to do it, still do it. Don't let them take your dreams. Also don't fight them in like an aggressive way but um, I don't know, be creative within these rules. We also did this. We are like a, a, a legal place. We have an agreement with the municipality. We work together with the municipality. This is important, yeah. But don't let them steal your dreams. Yeah.
So, Fizeo, I mean, I, I know you knew these guys already and, you know, maybe, probably this is not that new to you, but what, what are your thoughts kind of two years on hearing some familiar voices? Yeah, no, it was so nice to hear from them all again to, and to hear that they're all well and actually just to, to be reminded of sort of the maverick way of... of, of um, the kookiness. Like, yeah, the kookiness of it. And yeah, it was just lovely. I, I had a smile on my face the whole time listening and I hope um, our listeners sort of, sort of appreciate that as well. Um, um, actually, do you know what stood out to me the most? As someone who is quite structured and needs systems in place, um, <laughs> as much as I criticise the overall system of society, but in my day-to-day life, I'm a list maker, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that stuck out to me the most was the whole notion, I think it might have been Villamay who said it, who said something along the words of, we have an aversion to systems, <laughs> where she spoke about <laughs> the fact allergy, that... An allergy, I think she might allergy, even have yeah. said. <laughs> an allergy to systems, that really stood out to me. I just thought, I mean, again, in theory, yes, I love it. And for the days we were there, I loved it. I immersed myself in it, but... Could I cope if I had a disagreement with someone and I and there was no for, no way of um, resolving it except for let's just see how it goes let's talk it out I I think um the maybe the democratic side of it the democracy side of it was something that really stood out to me and and interested me I mean you know as I was listening to them say that as well I was kind of thinking okay as you say like oh that but then I thought well. I mean, a family, right? I mean, a family, you know, maybe even quite a big family that might actually, you know, have four or five kids or whatever. Like maybe they might have a grandparent living with them or something. I mean, do they have formal systems? Do you know what I mean? For Mm, conflict resolution or whatever. (laughs) You know, you kind of have to, you know, you scream it out or whatever you do. You slam your door, you go to your room or whatever you do. And tomorrow you you wake up. And and then you're like, damn, you know, you're kind of feeding me. I have to just deal with this. But I think that was sort of what I was thinking about was, Is it, again, just a sense that even within society, you have lots and lots of slightly smaller and smaller, smaller microscopes of of, of the way that, you know, like you have your big state, you have your central government, then obviously it breaks into, you know, yeah, cities, then it breaks into local authorities, then it maybe breaks into just the one school you go to or the one workplace and then your family. And so I guess we are just constantly... It's like those Russian dolls, isn't it? <laughs> um, with systems within systems. And we do, have, again, we have a systems episode for anybody who's interested in that. But... I think I actually have a little bit of an aversion to systems. And I think everyone who works with me quite closely is always like, I really thought you were organized from the outside. And but then I work with you and I'm like, you're just kind of, yes, organized, but free for flowing in your own world. And, that, you know, you don't really seem to respond well to systems. And I think I grew up in an environment that wasn't actually that structured and that systemized and so I thought I've been thinking about that a lot actually I guess it's one thing to not have a system for yourself but what do you do again when loads of other people also have to get on with you yeah and, <laughs> and I, be think, I think you, that's right? the thing for me because when you talk about the family so I am one of four children so actually that mm. that really resonates with me and <laughs> you're like did, damn it we yes. managed to survive <laughs> and we got along enough to, to make it I'm here I'm still here we're all still here so we obviously functioned enough but I think it's when it becomes on a societal level, as much as I don't think our systems are perfect, I do see how at the end of the day, there has to be decisions. I think maybe, and I think one of the big things that Villa has spoken to us about whilst we were actually there is the fact of having to keep the ecosystem quite small to make it work. Because I do think that outside of maybe having this system of 10 people, being so free-flowing and organic might become quite difficult, but it's something I'm really open to thinking about more and understanding how that might work um, on a bigger level. Saying that, I do want to give us more credit as humans. Like we can survive and we can work it out and we can, you know, we do have the ability to communicate. And like you say, your upbringing gave you the um, principles and the ability to to work outside of systems. So maybe it's just how we've been conditioned that, that makes us feel that this is something scary. And I guess even as I spoke about, you know, in a, in a, in a socialist state, like you'd still have, like you would probably have lots and lots of like, again, multiplies of, of smaller committees or smaller groups. You know, you obviously need some decision making structure because otherwise, and we heard about anarchy earlier, that's different. You know, anarchy maybe doesn't really quite believe in that at all, but I don't think people here are talking about chaos and they're not, you know, they're not talking about complete sort of, you know, free fall survival of the fittest. That That's not what no, it is. No. I think there is a sense that you are going to bring people along with you. And I guess even in our current society, 
no matter how flawed, supposedly, you know, we go and we vote at a local level and then that vote gets us a representative and then that representative goes into, a, you know, into a central level and so on. But yeah. I guess systems within systems or, you know, again, like they all said it could be scaled, but maybe not by making this place 10 times bigger, probably more just by having loads and loads and loads of different this, small you know, yeah. small communities. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess um, to bring it back to sort of the siblings example, it kind of makes me think, so who has the final say? Um, I was mm-hmm. the eldest, so quite a lot of the time yeah. that was, <laughs> I managed to be like, yeah. I'm the oldest, so like I have the final system. say. <laughs> yeah. But I guess in like complete, again, I think what you say, yeah, let's have an episode on democracy because I think that identifying how the final, how we get to the final decision is a really interesting thing for me because at the end of the day, someone has to win, I guess, um, or something mm-hmm. has to win. And whether that's come to through compromise, through mutual decision or through false, there sort of has to, decisions have to be made for a society to function. So yeah, exploring democracy, I think coming up definitely. And it's interesting because Villa Mayan, we have a, again, we have a video of her um, on our Instagram speaking about this from two years ago. She actually says that their structure is not in the formal sense of the word, democracy because she actually says we don't have a voting structure where let's say out of 10 of us six of us think something and four of us don't it's not the six that win we actually have again organically a way where we talk and talk and talk until we genuinely reach some sort of consensus that everybody's happy with rather than the six trumping down the four and that's another reason for why they're saying you can't get much bigger than 10 because then you the conversation could that. go on forever <laughs> forever and we, yeah and we already saw how long some of their conversations were when we stayed there. So um, so that's, again, interesting to think about, like consensus decision making, um, which is a sort of, you know, quite a sort of progressive, um, almost like alternative maybe to democracy. And I read a great article, actually, a while, not an article, an essay, actually, a while ago that I would recommend as well. It's called The Tyranny of the Structuralists. And we can post it in our um, in the bio as well, which talks about this idea that if you don't have structure, then you could end up with this kind of tyranny, so to speak, where it is just the most, the strongest that get their way, the most popular, the most charming, the most strategic, the most clever, whatever. And then actually, again, that's not a and good I think, thing. I think, that's, I think that is what worries me a little bit. So yeah, I'll definitely be reading that because I think, I think that's where my mind goes, um, is that removing structures seems very appealing but then what does that leave a gap for what 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 problems does that leave a gap for and like you say the most charming person or often the most forceful person (laughs) might might just end up dominating um and I guess that relates to another thing that really struck me which was inclusivity and how inclusive these spaces can be um if you do have to make them quite small let's say 10 as the magic number as uh, as um Villamai identifies it as um who gets to be in these spaces I mean in this example they said it tends to be their friends and people that they have personal network with but again well who does that means left out of these spaces maybe one one when they're being developed or is anyone left out or can everyone just create their own spaces so I think inclusivity is also another thing that really strikes me about about these communities and I guess that you could argue that, well, you know, like we don't, you know, we just set this thing up for ourselves. Like we never, we never claim to have a duty to the whole world or to bring all of you along with us, like set up your own thing if you want. Right. I mean, that might, for example, be their, you know, their defense on something like that. But again, when we were in um, Nijmegen two years ago, we visited a few different types of various housing type communities. And again, the videos are on our Instagram, but we can relink them here in the bio of um, a much, there was a bigger, much more like, again, structured housing community that we visited that, that spoke a lot about that how do you select people to join um we're going to be having an episode coming up soon on co-ops um housing co-ops even just here in the uk so again what are the processes by which people join um when at the moment it's not just how society runs for everybody right um so inclusivity is always an, an interesting uh question i mean i i really liked um what willem i said about you know again um, contribution, you know, like if you do remove money as a motivator, which a lot of people always say is the only possible motivator in life, which which seems really kind of limited. But, you know, if you remove that, then what encourages people to contribute to a space like that? I mean, again, in their case, they were saying, come on, you know, we're only 10 people and we've all chosen to live here. So, of course, we're going to kind of contribute to keep it going. But, you know, also what Willem I said about 
but you know even that idea that we have to be so productive all the time is again a capitalist notion and if you remove that and we have got enough to eat and we do have water and we do have all of these things well then so what if my neighbor is choosing to kind of lie in bed for a few hours like what is actually wrong with that um and maybe by again allowing you to rest and be still and they talked about time about patience about all these very very like sort of luxurious you know real luxuries that we don't really have much of but um then maybe that's where your creativity starts to flow um yeah your own wishes and dreams yeah I think there's something in us acknowledging that it's not just physically changing things we've got a lot of mental changes that we need to make it what in the shift away from capitalism because my natural instinct is always to apply um the mindset that capitalism has installed in me to new systems so i'm automatically thinking but what about the the democracy of it what about the inclusivity of it what about the productivity of it and without recognizing that actually the only reason i'm thinking of all of these things is because of how i've been conditioned so moving into new societies also means letting go of some of these things that are rooted in the current society so yeah i think i think that's really powerful way of like illustrating that actually and again, it harps back to, you know, um, Claire if from our capitalism episode spoke a lot about imagination and creativity and kind of coming up with these new ideas. Azar spoke again about trial experimentation. And they all said today, be creative, you know, mm-hmm. on some level, that's actually what it comes comes down to, because even capitalism is a system that would have on maybe not that consciously, but is, is still being designed and, and constantly kind of t- tweaked and adapted and evolved, right? So any mm. alternative would, 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 need, would need the same, the same thing. Um, and I guess, I mean, <laughs> they made it sound maybe a bit easier than it is, like just rock up to a field and set up a, yeah. a, a caravan. <laughs> but um, and there is maybe something in that, again, like at some point, do things. Like if you really yeah. are, if you're interested, if you're tempted, you know, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting because, they might still seem, despite us, our conversation and listening to them, it might still seem like an outlier, but actually in the UK, and I know they exist around the world, we do have some communities that have slight similarities to um, Stads Nomaden. Um, both the Gypsy Roma and the Irish Traveller communities um, have a very similar actual um, way of life in the essence that they have caravans and they move from space to space um, and they exist largely out of many of the outside of many of the social no- norms of society. For anyone that doesn't know, Roma gypsies are originally from northern India and Irish travellers are obviously originally from Ireland. Um, and yeah, so there are communities even within some of the more common structures that we're used to that are existing outside of the social norms and are existing in this way. Um, so again, it is possible if it is what you would like to do. And I actually want to plug here, um, a really good friend of mine recommended a book to me recently called um, Chav Solidarity. Um, and it's written by someone who has some you know, background and roots in Irish traveller communities. And he he speaks actually a lot about how in a very non-academic way, they 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 sort of in their own network follow some weirdly kind of, again, I mean, maybe socialist is not the word, but they just have some unwritten rules about the way that you provide for each other and look after each other. And it might be that you're literally having to steal to get a couple of loaves of bread, but then those loaves you have to make sure are kind of distributed amongst the people that all help to steal them or whatever. But, you know, how these things kind of, again filter down and sit in people's natural instincts perhaps and especially maybe if you have to group together to survive in that in you know mm. against a much much bigger machine so i would really recommend that book as well and again we really are it was meant to be a practical episode <laughs> but we've kind of told you a lot of things to read yeah. again so but, i mean reading is is such an important part of broadening um the mind and possibilities isn't it so i actually do think reading is quite a practical suggestion <laughs> yeah fair, okay fine fine i'll take that back um in that case on that i mean i just you know a few places a few organizations and entities people could look up you know there's something called the community land trust um and um, which are an organization that literally give a lot of advice about how you can set up community land trusts and they are like a national network and then they have like i think local um, arms of it. So um, community land trust is something to check out. Um, 
On a kind of maybe even much, much more smaller level, there is something in London called the Community Food Growers Network, um, which is a network of loads of different food growing projects in greater London. So again, if maybe for now you more just want to learn how you might at least grow your own food or, you know, some elements rather than diving full on into setting up a whole community for now, do you just want to learn how to grow your own food, for example, then there are, it gives you a list of where all these projects are based and where you could maybe go and volunteer with them, learn from them, etc. Um, and, um, I mean, well, there's in, in terms of listing individual projects, that's quite a, that's yeah, good. That could take some time. There, yeah. <laughs> and, um, actually I think this is the perfect moment for me to reveal something quite exciting. Um, we've been working on for a little while. Uh, we now have a website. So, uh, we, what we are going to do is we're going to, with each episode, we're going to do a bit more of a deep dive into the subject and there you'll be able to, um, see, us dissect the subject a bit further. And the exciting part of that is we'll have resource lists at the end of each episode subject article. Um, so we will have a socialism one and there will list as many of these organizations as we can so that you can choose, pick and choose what you you want to um, deep dive into a bit more. Cause as Amanda says, we could spend <laughs> hours just listing different organizations in your area. Um, but that's probably a more effective way to do that. And as well as that, we'll host everything on televised. So from all of the podcasts to the social media, the videos we're producing, and like I say, articles. So do check it out at untelevised.co.uk. Amazing guys. Um, so, um... Yeah, we will be hearing um, more about some of the concepts that you heard in today's episode and in future episodes, um, including like democracy, cooperatives, etc. And if there's anything you feel that we should cover, as always, that we haven't um, or that you want more more depth on, then please do message us. And as always, um, untelevised underscore TV is the Instagram. You can inbox us. Um, you can email talk to untelevised at gmail.com um, with a digit two. You can reach us through this new amazing website um, as well. So um, please do. We, we are starting to get more and more of you kind of messaging us things that you'd like to kind of explore. And it's, it's really great for us. And it does some of our work for us because then we don't have to keep coming up with new ideas. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we know that that what we're sharing is relevant to people. So that's always great. Okay, see you next episode. Bye. Call me a dreamer, idealistic believer with my head in a cloud. I don't want to come down from my feet. All planning on start the ground. For my ground. Wow, it was a cloud.